Hi, you're listening to Koldodi Messianic Congregation's weekly podcast. Join us in person for our weekly Shabbat services every Saturday at 11 a.m. We meet at 3534 West End Avenue in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information, visit our website at koldodi.org or follow us on Facebook and watch us live at facebook.com forward slash Nashville. And now, here's Rabbi Ken's latest message. What I'm going to talk about is life in the Spirit. The goal being the life in the Spirit. So if you have read the Parshah this week, it has been Leviticus, what is it, 1 through 5. You kind of get a picture. You see the intent of the sacrificial system that the Lord had set up. But Leviticus 1 through 5 can be a hard read for some. The typical world does not make it a habit of thumbing through Leviticus, right? I mean, we do more in the messianic world. Um, atheists use it to argue against morality, you know, accusing God of things with no real leg to stand on. But Christians use it only for certain moral arguments, but not other ones. But what is the intent? Does a modern person who call themselves Torah observant mean that? Leviticus 1 through 5. Most likely not. Whether it be Judaism, Messianic, or traditional Hebrew roots, or any other fringe group out there, the average Torah observant person does not mean these passages. So we have a lot to cover here. I'm going to try and breeze through it, but it's all, it'll be like a small theology lesson. Hopefully I won't put you to sleep. Paul in Romans 5 states, the Torah had to increase. Romans 7 says that it is holy and also that it brought him death. So there's my first slide today. Torah equals holy. Torah equals death. So we will close in prayer now. (laughs) Send your angry emails to Christy at Korodi. But isn't the perfect holy Torah of God, isn't it God's word? Yes, it is. How can the perfect holy Torah bring about death? So, Romans 7, 8 through 12. Hopefully you like my picture of Paul. I think it's a good one. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Amen. In the same paragraph, the law brought about death, and the also is perfect and holy. Make sense? 
What did Paul mean that the Torah had to increase in Romans 5? So, like I said before, when anybody says Torah, you know, even Paul in the sense, uh, when he says the Torah had to increase, he's talking about the Sinai Covenant established laws. Even those calling themselves Torah observant, they mean Sinai Covenant law, not the first five books of Moses. So, Let's look at the Torah itself. What is Israel's reception of it? What does it produce? So we're going to do a comparison. The wilderness wandering before Sinai and the wilderness wandering after the Sinai covenant. Israel continues to behave in the same way before and after. No surprise. So here is the behavior. Israel complains of the journey after just three days, and the complaining continued throughout the whole journey. Israel longs for food in Egypt. God provides manna and quail. Sabbath command is violated. Israel quarrels with Moses. Israel questions the God who is among them. Israel's complaining occasions God's provision of water from the rock. Moses must appoint leaders as Israel is to burdensome. So now we're going to go to the consequences of before and after the law is given. So we're going to look at what, what the differences are. This is what Paul is trying to extrapolate. Israel is victorious in defeating the Amalekites before the Torah, but is defeated by them after the law is given. On their way to Mount Sinai, just prior to the giving of the law, none of the Israelites are put to death when they sin against God and or Moses. Many thousands, however, are put to death for the same offenses once they receive the law. So here are some examples. Violating the Shabbat, Exodus 16, there is no punishment. After the law, violators are put to death. Israel's Desiring Egypt's food, unpunished in Exodus 16. After the law, they're hit with a plague. Israel complains, states that it would have been better to die in Egypt. Nothing happens to them before the law, but they actually get their wish of dying after. Grumbling against Moses, Exodus 16, no punishment. After the law, it results in the death of about 15,000 people. When they complained against Moses and the Lord, they were struck by fiery serpents. Numbers 21. So quite literally, the law brought death in these situations. So Paul's words make sense now, right? The Torah had to increase. Let's go to Romans 5. Yeah, now the... Torah came in so that transgression might increase. But where sin increased, grace overflowed even more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. Amen. Do we despise the Torah because it brought death? No, we love the Torah because by it, it increased grace. One could say that disobedience led to more commandments. Uh, this, is, this is the narrative of what actually happened. 
throughout the Torah, God gave more commandments as time went on. And, you know, rabbinic, and the rabbis continued, you know, adding more commandments of their own, creating an atmosphere of bondage and legalism. That's another story in of itself. I won't go there today. So what is the purpose in discussing this? What is my overall conclusion? Everything in the Torah points to the Messiah and the groaning of the Holy Spirit. Empowerment of the Ruach HaKodesh through the Messiah. The Torah tells us this. The Torah does not tell us the law is the goal. I see it all the time. I'm sure some of you guys do. People constantly pointing to the Torah and law instead of the Messiah. Mostly fringe groups, but that's kind of like their axe to grind, right? Like, I'm just going to tell people more and more and more about Torah. Tell them about the Messiah. Tell them about the freedom and Messiah. Amen? If, if, you, if you're one of those people and you're kind of constantly talking about the Torah, I would just challenge you to rethink that approach. The Messiah is life-giving. The Torah is our tutor that leads us to Mashiach. The Torah tells us, while having the law, Moshe longs for the Spirit. All right, if you have your Bibles open to 11, uh, excuse me, Numbers 11, 24 through 29. So Moses went out and told the people Adonai's words. He gathered 70 of the elders of the people and had them stand around the tent. Adonai descended in the cloud and spoke with him. He took some of the ruach that was on him and placed it on each of the 70 elders. It so happened that when the ruach first rested on them, they prophesied, but never again. Two men, however, had remained in the camp. The name was, of one was Eldad, which is Spanish for the dad. Uh, Eldad, and, <coughs> and the name of... <laughs> sorry. Chris Farley reference. Uh, and the name of the other was uh, me that. <laughs> I, I won't comment on that one. The Ruach rested on them. They were among those listed, but they had not gone out to the tent. So they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and me dad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, mighty Joshua of noon, the assistant of Moses, since his youth, cried out and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses said to him, are you jealous on my behalf? If only Adonai would make all the people prophets. If only Adonai would put the spirit on all of them. Amen. Moses did not say if only Adonai's people kept the law. They had the law at that point. The Spirit empowered them. This might, this might be another sermon entirely, but how often are we, Joshua, in this scenario, stomping out the Spirit moving in others? This has also got to stop within our communities. True leadership tip, true maturity embraces others' passions and the Spirit working in them. Essentially cultivating the growth. Insecurity will seek to stomp out the fire in others. The prophet Joel is synonymous with Moses. He even reiterates the longing for the spirit in Joel 3. 
So it will be afterward, I will pour my Ruach on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Also the male and the female servants. I will pour out my spirit in those days. Does anyone know when this was fulfilled? That's right. Shavuot, Pentecost, and Acts, which was brought about by the ultimate atonement. Yeshua, the Messiah, the spirit upon everyone. The Messiah did what the Torah could not, atone for the worst of sins. As Paul stated, where the law increased, grace, chesed, increased more. I love, you know, I love both translations of grace, by the way. Uh, in Hebrew, the chesed, the loving kindness. But in, in Greek, it's charis, uh, the unmerited favor, Right? So in John 1, 16 says, we have received grace upon grace. John testifies about him. He cried out saying, this is he of whom I said, the one who comes after me is above because he existed before me. Out of the fullness, we have all received grace. Yeshua on top of grace, Torah. Torah was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Yeshua, the Messiah. So how was Torah grace? It was God's extension of grace for the time. I mean, think about where we're in right now. Jubilee, setting the captives free. Amen? How did Yeshua do what the Torah could not? If you get a chance, read the entire chapter of Hebrews 9. This actually creates the perfect picture of how. However, for the sake of time, we'll read 9, 6 through 14. Now, with these things prepared this way, the Kohanim do continually enter into the outer tent while completing the services, but into the inner once a year, the Kohen Gadol, which is high priest, by the way, Kohen Gadol alone, and not without the blood which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins, of the people, keyword unintentional. There was, just real quick, with intentional sins, it, there, there was no atonement during this time. Intentional sins, you, you were doomed. Right, so by the Ruach HaKodesh, make clear that the way into the holies has not yet been revealed while the first tent is still standing. It is a symbol for the present time according to the gifts and sacrifices are being offered that cannot make the worshiper perfect with respect to conscience. These relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of setting things straight. But when the Messiah, Mashiach, appeared as high priest, Kohen Gadol of the good things that now have come, passing through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. He entered into the Holy of Holies once and for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having attained eternal redemption. For if the blood and goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. Cleanse our conscience from dead works to serving the living God. And it's powerful. Yeshua fulfilling this week's parsha. 
But notice something else. The writer of Hebrews states, without the Messiah, it is dead works. It's performing and performing. This was one of the hard things for me personally to see out in Israel. The dead works, the groaning for the relationship with the eternal father. Former Orthodox, now Messianic rabbi Aaron Alsbrook stated, these practices left him empty as an Orthodox Jew. It wasn't until he found new life in Yeshua did everything change. He also stated, when he sees others go down that path, the, the rabbinic path, he will warn them that it is enticing in the flesh, but it, will only, but it will not build them up in the spirit. Also, the writer of Hebrews says it would not make the worshiper perfect. How much more without a temple if the worshiper wasn't perfect with a temple? So we have atonement issues, right? How does, how does modern Judaism get around this? So when the temple was destroyed, Judaism was reinvented. How can there be a Judaism without a temple? Some saw an issue with this, namely the Pharisees in this case, but they decided on reinventing the wheel. The Sadducees were the ones that disagreed with the Pharisees. I know you guys know that. Because no temple equals no atonement in their eyes. In fact, some in Jewish traditions believe in the death of the righteous. Are you all familiar with that? Jewish tradition? If you don't know what that is, it is essentially God taking out his wrath on certain righteous individuals to atone for the sins of everyone. Sound kind of familiar? <laughs> this is actually still postulated in modern day Judaism. In a response to horrific tragedies against the Jewish people, author Philip Feldheim released a book. In it, he states, if we analyze the events, talking about the tragedies, it will become clear that it all happened as a result of our actions and that it was a strict divine justice punishing us for our sins. This is the way of Hashem's Midas Hadin. Midas Hadin is uh, uh, attributes of justice. It does not let transgressions go unpunished. When the Jewish people sin, the Midas Hadin seeks retribution against all of the Jewish people. But Hashem and his infinite mercy is not willing to unleash the full force of his wrath upon Israel. Instead, he appeases it with the death of Tzadikim, righteous ones, who act as a choice offering in our place. Unbelievable, right? <laughs> Asara Haruge Machas, ten righteous Tzadikim, including Rabbi Akiva, were brutally murdered. At that time, Hashem took the holiest of the nation, the Kedoshim and Gedolim of that time. We too have experienced Hashem's punishment for our sins, for he has taken Tzadikim from among us as Korbanos, Korbanos offering. Each of these four Kadoshim who were killed is a korban olah, and it is their blood that has stopped the Midas Hadin from taking vengeance on all of Klal Israel. Still today, rabbis are saying things like this. This is uh, Rabbi Barel Wine. Another consideration tinged the Jewish response to the slaughter of its people. 
It was an old Jewish tradition dating back to biblical times that the death of the righteous and the innocent serves as an expiation for the sins of the nation or the world. The story of Isaac and of Nadav and Avihu, the prophetic description of Israel as a long-suffering servant of the Lord, the sacrifice service in the temple, all serve to reinforce this basic concept of the death of the righteous as an atonement for the sins of other men. He goes on to say, the spirit of the Jews is truly reflected in the historical chronicle of the time. Would the Holy One, blessed is he, dispense judgment without justice? But we may say that he whom God loves will be chastised. For since the day the Holy Temple was destroyed, the righteous are seized by the death of the iniquities of the generation. Does this not make you sad? <laughs> Makes me sad. Where, where are all these guys getting this from? Right here in the Zohar. The children of the world are members of one another. And when the Holy One desires to give healing to the world, he smites just one man amongst them. And for his sake, heals all the rest. Whence do we learn this? From the saying, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, Isaiah 53. By the letting of his blood, as when a man bleeds his arm. Amazing. It could potentially apply to Tzadikim, but not to Yeshua in this sense. But we know what this actually points to. Amen? So do not ever let anyone tell you that the death of the righteous as an atonement is not a Jewish idea. However, there was only one spotless lamb, the Lord Yeshua so what about Lababacher Rebbe? Could he atone for every, anyone? These are the actual pictures I took in Israel. This is what's plastered on all the walls. And, and that's actually his flag, too, that all of his followers wave that, that says Mashiach. And so he may be considered a righteous amongst the Jewish community, but he is still born of Adam. And he did not defeat death. It got him in 1994, but he also did not fulfill a ton of prophecies, including being a light to the Gentiles and drawing them unto him. I don't know if you know, but did you know that not only are believing Jews a fulfillment of prophecy, but you believing Gentiles are as well. In this situation with Lubavitcher Rebbe, it's a small Jewish sect of Chabad. Not even all of Chabad is on board with him being the Mashiach. Not to mention the Messiah had to come before the second temple was destroyed in Daniel 9. Amen. We can start a long list on why he is not the Messiah. This is truly sad, though. The sign says, Yahi. Hamelech Hamashiach. Long live King Messiah. All right, so this is in the old Jewish quarter. We walk up and we see all these guys dancing, and we're like, oh, this is this is great. We wanna we I talked a little bit about this last week. We want to join in on this. This is fun. And then we start seeing the flag, and I'm like, wait, that says Mashiach. And then it gets, it gets worse. More flags start coming out from this end, and then they start to hang a sign on that tree of Lubavitcher Rebbe. And then it got to a really sad point, you know, that I explained last week. 
They're dancing around for a dead guy. So what about Rabbi Nachman? Do you have the next slide? There you go. Who gained a following by telling people they are good just the way they are. Intertwining Torah and Kabbalah, some still call him their rabbi, and some call him the Messiah. Although there were some good things he did, like encourage people to talk directly to God without a siddur. He called it self-seclusion. He did, however, attempt to mediate. He did think he was the Messiah. He told his followers to recite the general remedy. The general remedy is the 10 Psalms of David. He said, recite this, you know, particularly at his tomb, and he'll intercede for their salvation. I don't know how he plans to do that. <laughs> and then we get, uh, oh, yeah, so these, these beanies, uh, there's a beanie, there's a kippah, and they say Hamashiach on one side, and I went into the, into the shuk in, in Jerusalem, and there was actually a Christian Arab working there, I'm like, and I couldn't read some of the words. I'm like, what does this say? He's like, oh, it's uh, Jesus is the Messiah. It's, it's uh, 30 shekel. And I'm like, I'm not sure. And I kept reading, and it said, and it said Nachman on the side of me. I don't think this guy knows what he's selling. <laughs> or he does. Well, he was a Christian. He was a Christian Arab. So I don't think he did because he, he stated afterward his Hebrew was not that good. And so now we move on to the, Phar the Pharisaical sect. The Pharisaical sect is the Judaism we see today that says more prayer, more repentance, more synagogue attendance, more charitable works can now atone for your sins. What is the problem with this? It's 100% against the Torah. Also, if longing for the temple to be rebuilt, I don't know if any of you guys went to the Temple Institute out there. If longing for the temple is to be rebuilt so that sacrifices can resume, why? Why rebuild it if you can make atonement from these other easier things? There would be no point. I believe this situation, if the, when the temple gets rebuilt again, I believe it will, and sacrifices resume, I believe the Jewish people might, might just catch on at that point that sacrifices are needed. I believe that'll be the right time to tell them about Yeshua. So right now, I don't believe any of them believe they have the assurance of salvation. Right now, even the idea of salvation is disputable to them. Looking at this... You know, I'm burdened. I was burdened when I was out there. I hope you're burdened too. Are you burdened for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, striving in the flesh? Why focus on the Orthodox so much is another question. After all, they are only 20% of the population of Israel. They are. But their sphere of influence in Israel is immeasurable. And we're not only talking about government influence. This is spiritual too. 
Rabbi Ken stated years ago that if one of the local rabbis in Israel turns to Yeshua, the entire community, that the entire makeup of Israel would change. We need this. This is the community we need to reach. It is the community that would have to usher in the coming of the Messiah, be the coronation of the king. For this community is the one that has to say, Baruch HaBashem Adonai, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. So this has been the Besorah in a nutshell. The good news is the transforming power of Messiah for us to live as him and to die is gain. If you are struggling and groaning in the flesh for the Lord, I want you to know that he hears you. If you are wrestling with sin or wrestling to compete and doing more good works, striving and striving, rely on his Ruach to lead you. The Ruach will empower you to do all that he has for you, just as the Ruach empowered the 70 elders. If you have never met our rabbi, we invite you to t today to meet him. He is the only rabbi that can save. Come talk to one of us. Come pray with us. If you already know the Messiah, pray for this community, this community next door. Please pray for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is why Yeshua came. This community has burdened me. I feel like Paul in this moment, that I wish myself be cut off for the sake of some of them. I hope you feel that burden too. I challenge all of us to reach out to the community. You have the truth. Don't pretend like they have all the answers. We will not reach him if we do. You have the truth. You have the Messiah. Torah was an act of grace that increased grace when Yeshua came. Torah pointed to the Messiah and the Ruach. There is only one mediator between God and man, Yeshua the Messiah. No righteous man can atone for the sins of mankind. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. Only the one without chametz leaven sin, our Rabbi Yeshua. No righteous acts can be a substitution for atonement. And then final conclusion, please pray for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, for this is why he came. Father, we thank you for this time, Lord. I thank you, God, that you were able to burden me, and I, and I, I pray that I somehow uh, helped this congregation here, Lord, just see your lost sheep. Lord, we know, God, that they will be the coronation of you coming, Lord. We know the, the Orthodox saying, uh, when they see you, they're going to ask, is this your first time here? Because I think deep down in the hearts of a lot of them, they know Yeshua has fulfilled the prophecies, especially of the nations drawing to him. Lord, we just trust in you. We ask that you would move in us, God. Your Ruach would be, empower us to live holy. Your Ruach would empower us to show them the light of Mashiach. There is no light. It's not Nachman. 
It's not Lubavitcher Rebbe. It is you, Yeshua. Lord, we thank you for everything. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Shabbat shalom. Thank you.